It is uh, Wednesday. It's 3 o'clock in uh, Southern California. This is Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine on KKLA and KPRZ. Glad you're along this afternoon. Uh, in our church, um, and it may be the same in your church as well, back about, I don't know, eight, eight or ten years ago, we had a guy come to us who uh, lives part of the year in our community and part of the year he lives in Puerto Rico. He and his family have got a house down there. They're there part of the time. They're here part of the time. And he said, I really wish there was a way while we are in Puerto Rico that we could stay connected with the church. I'd love to be able to tune in on on Sundays and just be kind of virtually a part of the worship service with you. And then, again, this was 10 years ago. And he said, I've heard there are some churches that are starting to go like online with their services. Have you guys thought about that? And I thought, well, we're just a small church. I mean, I, you could do it. But he said, well, I'd be willing to help fund that. So he he made a donation. We were able to buy some remote cameras. I mean, not an elaborate deal, but some remote cameras and a switcher and had somebody who knew how to do that sat in the room. And I thought even if it's just for our friend who wants to stay connected with us. And and I talked with him about, are there good churches in Puerto Rico? And can you get connected down there? And, and he was working on that, but they just wanted to stay part of their church family and in, in our community. So I, I tell you all of that to say, when we get to March of, of a year and a half ago, March of 2020, and all of a sudden uh, churches shut down I mean, it all hit, like for all of us, right? There was a Sunday morning where um, I, I, it would be curious to know what churches were open on that Sunday morning. I guess there are churches that stayed open the whole time. But as soon as the NBA was shutting down games, everybody was figuring out what's our pivot move because we didn't know what COVID was going to be. There was Zoom church. There were people doing FaceTime church with their iPhones up. Our church, we were... We were already set up, so I was grateful for the fact that on that Sunday morning, we could send word out to everybody that you can connect with us online the way we've been doing this for a while. And in the first few weeks that we were online, uh, the numbers of people who were tuning in, it was we were having like five, six times the attendance I don't know how many people were at the end of those streams, but if you if there were two people at the end of the streams, it was it was a huge number of people who were tuning in. I think curious, looking in in the middle of pandemic news, looking for clarity and answers and help and hope and all of that. And and I was in our empty church building with the guy running the camera in the back of the room, and it was it was just us. For that worship service, we were present, but there were a lot of people connecting with us online. And and other churches, you know, were having to pivot. They were having to figure out what their options are. Uh, but all of us were scrambling to figure out how do we stay connected with our people? How do we continue the practice of worship, the spiritual disciplines? How does this stay a part of what we do? And over the last 18 months, it's been an ebb and a flow. Again, some churches... There are some churches that are still not meeting live. Other churches where masks are mandatory. Others where it's 
uh, optional. Others, churches didn't shut down. I mean, churches have had to figure out how to respond, and not everybody's responded the same way. As you have heard us say here at KKLA for several weeks now, um, it's time for us to figure out a way back to church. In fact, the cover article in the new issue of Christianity Today that has just been released this week is an article about the hidden pandemic. And the hidden pandemic is the spiritual pandemic that's going on because we have not been together in corporate worship unencumbered for a period of time now. So I want to talk about that today, but I also want to talk about whether the whole idea of continuing to have an outreach on our websites, virtual access to our corporate worship, whether that's a good idea or not. And and part of the reason I bring that up is because of a, an editorial that was in, I think it was in the New York Times about a month ago, Colin Hansen, who is... Uh, with the uh, with the Gospel Coalition, he is uh, the, the president of content and the editor in chief for the Gospel Coalition. He hosts a podcast called Gospel Bound, and has uh, written a number of books. Colin teamed up with Jonathan Lehman at uh, at Capitol Hill Baptist Church up in Washington D.C. They've written a book called Rediscover Church: Why the Body of Christ is Essential. And Colin was in. The uh, the New York Times. I, I think I'm getting this right. Colin's on the line with us. Colin, welcome to to Southern California Live. Good to talk to you this afternoon. Oh, it's good to talk with you, Bob. Well, it was the New York Times. Am I right? Yes, that's right. A guest essay with the New York Times is correct. So here you were saying it's time to get back to church, but it's also time to shut off the virtual church, shut your live streams down, right? Yeah, I do. I do have some exceptions. To that, um, I, I think that churches, if they don't necessarily want to shut them down, one thing that they could do that I've seen recommended would be that they would keep them, but then have people request them directly so they can keep in contact with them, and maybe their password protected so that people could look through them. I think the overall challenge that we face is that the same technology allows me to go to Denmark this month and preach at the International Baptist Church of Copenhagen and have my mom watch on the farm in South Dakota. It also allows me to sit there with my three kids, uh, six and three and a newborn, and say, it's just too much trouble (laughs) to get to church. I just want to stay at home and watch. And so it's just like so many other technologies, right, Bob, of sometimes it enhances and it expands, and sometimes it supplants and it undermines. And that's why it's not so much that I want everybody to shut down their live streams, but what I really want them to do is to consider whether they should and to even consider that possibility that they should, because ultimately I do have a significant fear that people will think that it's an acceptable substitute and by no means biblically, theologically, could we say that it is a substitute for the uh, for gathered worship? Okay, let's set this issue off to the side for just a second, and and I want to come back to this the whole live stream idea. But let's talk about the last eighteen months 
for church, not just in America, but this has been a worldwide pandemic. And so churches around the world are having to figure out what does it look like to be the church when the church gathered is there, there's some danger related. I, I have a friend of mine who in our current moment is saying, I'm still not comfortable being back at church because I, I feel he, he, he's not, as far as I know, he's not immunocompromised, but he's just, there's a, there's concern about Delta variant. Am I still, am, I, I don't want to get anywhere near this thing. I've had friends who have died from this. And, and so let's talk about the priority of the church gathering in the first place. I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Is that an essential for our lives spiritually that we gather with other believers? Or is that something that we can kind of moderate? What, what does the Bible call us? I, I, know, I know Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. So is that a once a month? Is that a weekly? What, what's our pattern and how do we know? Well, I think sometimes the most obvious biblical truths are the ones that are not explicit in certain ways. So let's think about this. So the Trinity is really the foundation of our faith, and yet you actually have to piece some things together to make it, to make it work. You don't necessarily have a passage that says, this is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't really work that way. In a similar way, when Jesus talks about certain aspects of sexual ethics, you think, well, I mean, he kind of, he upholds the Old Testament. He upholds the Hebrew Bible. He doesn't necessarily come and he changed, he doesn't come and change those things. The offense in which, so, so people will say, well, Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality. Well, yeah, but he assumed that as being against God's law everywhere. I mean, he would not have brought that up in the same way that we would today. Similarly, I think, Bob, you can look through the scriptures and see there really isn't any concept of somebody being alone in the faith. There's not really a concept of them not gathering. That assumption is everywhere. And the difficulty for us is that the, the, the biblical believers lived in more communal cultures. I think we can admit that. They lived in more, uh, less individualistic cultures. And so at some level, they didn't necessarily have to offer a corrective to that because it was just their pattern of life. It was really a matter of survival for them. Uh, the fact that we can go through this pandemic and we can have food delivered to our homes, we can be entertained with streaming services, we can, be, we can do our jobs from home, those are all luxuries that simply have not been afforded to 99.9% of people who've ever lived. So when we approach the scriptures when it, when it, and, and say, do we actually need one another? It's almost like everywhere you look, the Bible just says, wait, how did you get the idea that that wasn't kind of the whole point <laughs> here? Because how are you, I mean, all these one another's, how are you supposed to fulfill them if not with other people? It's, it's amazing, Bob, how, how holy I think I am when I'm by myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's only when I'm around other people that all of a sudden the sin seems to start coming out. So at some level... I just kind of want to keep going back, like you're saying, and get back to those fundamental assumptions and simply say, yeah, our faith has, is, is an opportunity to be able to live in community with one another. And no, I mean, I don't think I could say that, hey, you have to have a morning and evening service on Sunday, or you can only do a Sunday service, or 
I think those 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 uh, commands are fairly flexible, but the for not but to not forsake the assembly is, I think, a foundational truth that whatever that means, it means that this is important and it should be regular. Of course, you might, this is where biblical backgrounds can help quite a bit. One other aspect of what we learn here comes from simply the pattern that Jesus himself observed as somebody who worshiped regularly every week in the synagogue with his community and with his family. So I'm sure, Bob, you and your listeners, and some of them have had a chance to be able to visit Israel. You can still visit these kinds of synagogues where Jesus would have worshipped and where others in his time would have worshipped. A lot of the patterns of the early church were really an extension of that culture, and so those patterns that have been picked up. So, you know, I know friends in, in Muslim world or lands where they meet on Fridays. I know some churches that meet morning and evening, just like a lot of churches used to. Some where they just meet in the evening, some in the morning. I don't really get too picky about that. I don't think the Bible does either. But the essential, but the essential nature of us meeting together regularly to open God's word, to sing God's word, to pray God's word, to exhort one another with God's word, that seems essential. And and you know, before the pandemic had had hit us. If you went to people and said, do you attend church regularly? And the answer was yes. And then you said, how often do you attend regularly for a whole generation of young believers today? Regularly means one to two times a month. That's regular church attendance in their mind. In, in my, you know, I mean, in our family, there was never a question of should we go to church on Sunday or not. I mean, that was just that was assumed. But it sure feels like it's a week to week decision for a lot of young believers today. Yeah, and I, I don't know how. Yes, that is many young believers, but I think kind of a, a general thing as well. So when I run into a big change like this, I often think about bigger changes in our culture to try to understand the context. And so I can say I grew up in a grew up in a rural community, a farm community in South Dakota. There was not a lot of money, and so people weren't typically going on vacations. Well, in that kind of culture, people are going to go to church regularly. They're going to be there every week. Um, now I'm in a, a context with a lot of younger people. It's a more affluent context, and we have four services. Essentially, I have no idea who I'm going to see any given week, and I can usually tell from Instagram how many people have been on vacation, they've been at bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, and there's always something around football games, all this kind of stuff. Basically, a lot of people just have more money than they used to, and they have higher expectations, and there's just more competing. Just in, I mean, I remember if I, if I stayed home in the 1980s, I didn't want to go to church. My options were, well, I guess I could work on a farm or I could watch CBS Sunday morning with Charles Kroll. I mean, it's not like I had a lot of great options, Bob. Right, right. So, but now you can sit home and you can play your video games. You can watch streaming services of anything or go on a vacation. I mean, do whatever. Just the options are so much more numerous. So I think in some ways we could pick on younger people assumptions. But whenever I think about younger people, I always People have parents, and the parents are usually the ones who set the tones with the tone with these things. 
Yeah, and and we did grow up in an era where we heard on the radio that everybody's living for the weekend, and so we kind of had this mindset: weekend is my time to do what I want to do, yeah. and if if I want to do church, I'll do church, but. I might not want to do that this weekend. So I, I do think there's there's a lot of a consumer mindset that has worked its way into uh, church attendance as opposed to this is a this is a spiritual necessity for me to gather together with other believers. It's a spiritual necessity for us to gather and to corporately worship. We've lost a sense of the benefit of that togetherness, I think. Not just the benefit of it. You mentioned that Christian Today cover story, but not just the benefit, it's the essential nature. That's, the, that's what we're talking about in this book. So I'll give an example here. It comes from a friend of mine who does college ministry in Southern California, right there. And he was just writing today about how often he'll run into, in youth ministry, run into families where they say, yeah, I'm sorry, we're ju- you're just not going to be able to see our child for the next six months. We just won't have time for church. Oh, okay, well, what, what's going on? Some sort of major health crisis or something? No, 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 it's just soccer season. Mm-hmm. It's just baseball season. Okay, look, I love sports. I mean, I, I played sports, I watch sports, my kids play sports. Like That's not the issue here. But we all have to make choices because on travel teams, Sunday sports, all kinds of different things, It's really, you can be as devout a family as you want, but if you're not... You're worshiping together on Sundays or your designated day, then I don't know what message you think the children are being communicated with, whatever it is, it's, or what they're learning, whatever it is, it's that worship is not as important as something else. And children tend to observe what we do more than what we say. And so we have that opportunity as parents to set that tone by simple practices, and that's the encouragement I want to offer, is that a lot of times parents will ask me, and they'll be really confused and concerned, and they'll say, well, what can I do to be able to help my child grow up in the faith? And I say, you know what? Actually not that complicated, just statistically. Now, theologically, biblically, we can talk about that, but statistically, you worship together, you eat dinner together, you talk about God in the home, pretty much Almost all of those kids grow up practicing their parents' faith. Mm-hmm. That's just the statistics. There's always exceptions. That's just, just the statistics. And I can say, Bob, no matter where we are education-wise, resource-wise, wherever we live, all of those things are, I mean, there are some exceptions, but those things are generally within our means to be able to do. It's not too complicated. That should be encouraging for everybody listening. We're talking to Colin Hansen, uh, together with Jonathan Lehman. They've written a book called Rediscover Church, which uh, is a book that's calling us back to uh, what the pandemic has kept us from, kept some of us from. I want to I say that because there have been churches throughout right. the pandemic that have continued to meet. But there, there has been this shift to maybe there's a, a new technological option that uh, that we we've We've gotten fond of waffles and pajamas and the sofa and and church. I mean, th- that can get that that can feel pretty good on a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I want everybody to know where I'm coming from on this. I'm writing this. I'm writing this book. Uh, our publisher Crossway was just generous. They sent it to sent twenty copies each to fifteen thousand churches, three hundred thousand copies 
of this book distributed, which was just amazing generosity from them because of the urgency of this. I'm publishing a guest essay in the New York Times. I'm speaking on this topic over in the Netherlands. And still I'm sitting there, Bob, with my family saying, oh, gosh, are we really going to do this? <laughs> Am I really going to try to get out the door with my, with my six-year-old, with my three-year-old who's throwing a temper tantrum? Uh-huh. And with this, with this baby that somebody's got to hold, like, are we really going to do this? Am I really going to? Is my wife going to sit next to me and listen to a 45-minute biblical exposition about the temptations of Christ from the Gospel of Luke with this baby? Oh, and also with the air conditioning having gone out, not only in our car, but then also in the church. And hey, this, I mean, it, thankfully the weather isn't too bad here in Alabama, but it's, you know, if that had been a month or two ago, that would have been a tragedy in Southern terms. But uh, I, so I don't want people to be confused here. It's, I understand. And, and, I, and when, you're, when you're out of practice, when you're out of rhythm, when you're the only person in your neighborhood who's going to church, I mean, the, 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 the deck is stacked against you. I get yep. it. That's the whole point of this book, is to say, this isn't incidental to our faith. This is essential to our faith, because it is a corporate, corporately practiced religion. And that is a beautiful thing. I'll say this. There's always somebody, you know, some demonic temptation on my shoulder that always tells me, you don't need to go. Mm. And there's always this godly response whenever I've gone that says, can you believe you almost missed out on that? Yeah. Every time, Bob, every time. Colin Hansen joining us this afternoon. We're talking about rediscovering church, about the importance of assembling ourselves together for corporate worship. We're talking about whether virtual worship is is a a positive or not. In fact, I want to dig more into that, but we've got to take a quick time out. We will continue the conversation, and if you'd like to join us, we'll take your calls at 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. This is Afternoons on Southern California Live on KKLA and KPraise. Afternoons on KKLA and K-Praise, Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. We're talking about church, talking about kids' soccer. We're talking about virtual church. Colin Hansen is joining us this afternoon. Colin is the uh, editor-in-chief for the Gospel Coalition and the co-author of a book called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. And um, I think a lot of people, Colin, look at their regular church attendance they've gone for a long time and they think to themselves i don't know that i'm i'm really walking away with a clear a, a clear benefit it's like i walk out of there and go okay that was fine but but it's not like every sunday they're they're out going that was awesome i got to be back here next week it's just kind of this rhythm we're in and it was it was it's like we went to the cafeteria and dinner was okay and yeah we needed to eat so but so I think a lot of people start tuning out on on going back to church because they don't remember, or maybe they haven't experienced a a strong move of the Lord week in and week out, and they think, 
aren't I supposed to be getting something huge every Sunday? Yeah, I can I can see that, Bob. And probably that has to do with a couple couple things. One of them would be that, especially with the growth of, of mega churches in the latter half of the 20th century, and especially since the 1970s, we really have changed our expectations of church. There were a lot more similarities uh, from church experiences before the 1970s, especially, and certainly in the early 20th century, kind of across the board. Um, you would have expected a lot of the same things, a lot of the same songs, again, across denominations. But especially with the rise of the Jesus movement in the 1960s and 1970s, you know, a lot of different experiences now. And also now with, with international cable networks that broadcast these services, and then now with YouTube, and sure enough, we're right back to live stream now. Got a lot of opportunities to be able to look at these services and think, oh man, that's a lot better than what, <laughs> that's a lot better than, than Maud's piano playing. <laughs> 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 it's a lot better than Brother Jim's organ every week. <laughs> and so, no, I, I understand that. And there's, there's, also, there's also a sense in which, yeah, the, the, the preaching you can get. I mean, I run a, I run a resource ministry for Christians, and we reach, by God's grace, about 40 million people around the, around the world every year. I can go and I can find all of these amazing preachers, and I can bring them together into one place. And, yeah, we can package things in a way that's going to probably make most of our churches look pretty weak by comparison but I think that's the exact right question to ask, because I think there are a lot of assumptions there that I want to question, and that I have questioned in this book. And one of the assumptions would be that the sacraments or the ordinances don't matter. Now, as Protestants, we're going to disagree with Catholics on some of these things. And yet at the same time, certainly the Reformers, and the great leaders of Christian history have taken these sacraments or ordinances seriously. And if your church is administering the Lord's Supper and administering baptism in whatever mode they believe to be biblical, then they're doing something that is ab- absolutely fantastical. It, it is amazing. It says good or better than what any other church can provide for you. So that's, that's one reason to be encouraged. Another thing that that I'll often say to people in a situation like this comes from something that a seminary professor or a preaching professor said to me, and it's a really good thing to be able to burst the prideful bubbles of young seminary students who think they're God's gift to the church. And one of the things that he said to me was, you know, over the course of time, people are not going to remember what you said. Mm-hmm. It's actually not really, generally speaking, how transformation happens in the Church. Transformation tends to happen in this divinely ordained moment where character melds, personality melds with God's unchanging Word, and you see that and you're shaped by that over time. It's not so much, Bob, the the every-week excitement. It's the every-week rhythm that brings change. It's when it's in, in community. And so one of the things I'll tell people is that the, the best preacher for you is not the person who 
is going to knock your socks off every week. If that were the case, maybe we should just play some Billy Graham sermons on YouTube <laughs> at our churches every week. But yeah. it's the person who can show up at your bedside, who can show up at your front door, who can show up when you need him the most, and actually knows your name. I, I've been in different churches, just even in my community, and you can tell the difference between somebody who's preaching to his church and somebody who's preaching, I don't know, to a podcast, to the video, yeah. something like that. And Anyway, so I understand why people feel that way, Bob, but that's exactly the kind of expectation that I'm actually trying to reorient in this book. Well, I, I think it's so profound because I think we have neglected what I've referred to as the theology of presence. Um, you know, you look at God was with the children of Israel day and night in the wilderness, the pillar of fire and the cloud, and and he was always present, but he said, we're going to build a, a tabernacle, and I want you to gather, and I want corporate worship, and he did that for our good, not because he's a an egotistical, prideful God who demands worship for his own satisfaction, but because he knows we need the discipline of this corporate worship. And I'm thinking about the tens of thousands of people who last night uh, spent a lot of money, worked through a lot of traffic, and went to watch the Dodgers from high up in behind third base. Oh, and don't it was in Bob. I'm in <laughs> Alabama. You got to remember. Don't rub it in. What? And so the rest of us, we were able to watch that game last night yeah. in yeah. a in a comfortable lounge chair, and we could get yeah. snacks cheaper, and yeah. we could we could. But you go to most people and say, "You want tickets for the game?" It's like, yeah, because we recognize that presence is a yeah. different visceral experience than just watching on a screen at home. Oh, could not agree more. Let's continue along that sports vein. We we had sports seasons last year with no fans, and I find a lot of those, I find that very instructive. One of the things that you see now is, is that, one, the competition is way better with fans. Um, these baseball playoffs have just been outstanding. So there is a difference. The players respond differently. Talk to pastors about what it's like to preach to a screen yeah. or to preach to a camera or preach to a, a, a congregation in masks. It is hard. It is very hard to do. Now, it's not like the Spirit can't move that way, but there is a dynamic that changes there. Mm -hmm. I always remember my, my grandmother spoke um, a lot in United Methodist churches, and she always told me, Colin, the people will tell you when you're done. Like, what do you mean <laughs> they'll tell you? Like, oh, they'll start, <laughs> you'll start to see them moving. You'll start to see them shifting. People start coughing. People start, you know, they'll give you the signals. You respond as a preacher and as a speaker, you respond to the signals. Yep. Just like a player responds. And you're exactly right. It's, isn't it interesting that, we haven't seen any talk about how people aren't interested in going back to sporting events because we know, even though it's more convenient to stay at home, there's nothing that can replace the congregational experience. And even for people watching on TV, it's way – I mean, TV ratings were way down right. last year. Now they're way back up again. Why? Because it's more interesting to watch when there are people there. So, uh, not, these are not perfect parallels, but we should be, that should tell us something about the church. Do you think that 
what's happened with COVID is going to have, I've heard people speculate this, a purifying impact on the church where those who have been marginal are going to, are going to blow away and we're going to have a, uh, a believing remnant that's still gathering for worship. Well, certainly I think that'll, that'll be the case. I, I mean, I would love if, I would love if that meant some sort of revival where people said, if I'm here, I'm into it. That's one of the interesting things, Bob, about my traveling recently in, in Denmark and in the Netherlands. You, you hear a lot of talk about how spiritually barren these places are and how few Christians there are. When you meet Christians, they are very serious about their faith. They are very intentional about their faith, and they're very evangelistic about their faith. So they're wonderfully encouraging to be around. If that's the net result, if the people who are there are more deeply bought in, hey, that's not the end of the world. I could see that as being a really wonderful thing that God's doing. Of course, though, any minister, any shepherd, is going to mourn that one who's gone away. And you always see in the Church, somebody who starts out at the margins, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, can come to the center. So even if we lose people to margins, I still mourn that because I think that that's an opportunity for, for them to be, you know, to come toward the center. Um, but it, I'll, you know, I'm interested to know how that looks in different regions of the country, because here in the South, where I'm in a large church with a lot of young people, it's certainly the case that we've lost many hundreds of members. Um, and yet at the same time, we still, I mean, have to turn people away from services because we don't have room. So it's really a mixed bag. I think some people have certainly sort of just drifted away. Some people have come on in, and it's, it's, I don't know how it's going to kind of sort out, but we, we obviously know that the name of the game is change. Colin, Hans- um, Colin Hansen's out, joining yeah. us. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt there. Colin's okay. joining us. We got to take a quick time out. We're gonna. I got some. I got some hardballs for you that are coming All after right. we take the time out. So stay with us. You're listening to Southern California Live on KKLA and Cape Rays. Southern California Live on KKLA and K-Praise. I'm Bob Lapine on a uh, Wednesday afternoon. We're talking about church. We're talking about being back at church. We're talking about virtual church. Colin Hansen is joining us from the Gospel Coalition. Are, you're still doing Gospel Bound, the podcast, right? Yes, absolutely. We interview an author every week trying to find hope in the gospel and what God's doing around the world. Yep. And and folks can find that wherever they get their podcasts. Are you also regularly sitting in with Kevin D. Young on the Life and Books and Everything podcast? <laughs> yeah, you got it, my good friends, uh, Justin Taylor and Kevin D. Young on Life and Books and Everything. Same thing. You can find that all over the place. And that is uh, this week talking about evangelical elites, that sort of conversation that's been <laughs> swirling around the Twitterverse. And also every week we give... Uh, and every time we, we gather, we give a lot of book recommendations. So if you love that, check it out. I'll, I'll do that. So I told you I had some uh, some hardballs for you here. So here's the first pitch. You ready? All right. Yeah, let's okay. go for it. It's like, a, it's like a Cody Bellinger off a of Luke Jackson high fastball. <laughs> I'm hoping for here, all right? <laughs> hey, the perfect illusion. Okay, here we go. Um, so we're talking to somebody. He says... Our church has uh, 
they're they're pretty locked down. They want you to wear masks. They want the kids wearing masks. I'm not going back to church until they relax and let us come in unmasked and and let us do our thing. As long as, as long as you've got masks, you can keep meeting. I'll watch online, but I'm not coming back until until this mask thing goes away. You, would you say that's legit or put on a mask and get back to church, buddy? Well, I would definitely say the latter, but let me let me sort of give you some context for that. So um, my, my child's schools just got rid of masks, so we don't have masks at all in our schools. I think that was the right decision, right decision for our community. Um, generally, I'm, I'm an advocate of making smart, sensible decisions. If you need masks and they might help, maybe that's good. But if you don't have to have them, you make them optional. So I just want to say I'm not some sort of pro-mask person, though I have been worshiping the last couple of weeks at a church that has required masks. And that's kind of my point, is that one of the beautiful things about church is that actually kind of forces us to do some things we don't naturally want to do. You know, that's a lot like Christianity. We don't always want to feel like it. We don't always have, want to have to do it. But, you know... That's what's best for us to be a part of that community. So generally, even though I say, eh, I don't know if you need the masks, I say, if that's what the church wants, you need to get back to church, buddy. All right. Well, so let, let's flip this around then. And uh, right. mom and dad have both been vaxxed. They've got a six-year-old and eight-year-old who can't be vaxxed. Uh, when they go out, uh, which they don't do as much as they used to, they wear masks because... They're concerned about their kids. They're, they're all relatively healthy, but they know relatively healthy people who have gotten really walloped by this deal. And their church is not requiring masks. And uh, they're thinking, I'm not going back to church because it it could be really dangerous there. And if they're not requiring masks, I'm not going. Same thing to them. To, uh, wear your mask, but yeah. get back to church. Yeah, that's actually the situation in my church. Um, that's actually the, the pastoral situations that I've been in as an elder in my own church. You know, what I find in both of these scenarios is that if you're using pastoral discernment, usually the issue isn't the mask. There's something going on underneath. And a wise pastor will, be, will love his people well enough to want to find out what that issue is underneath. And so in this situation, I say, you know, your church leaders are doing the best they can with the information that's available to them. Uh, wear a mask, though I know it's not particularly effective unless everybody wears them, even then not as effective as other things like a vaccine. But in generally, yeah, absolutely, I say go ahead and wear the mask, but it's important that you get out there unless you have some sort of particular condition. The fact is we live in a world of risk. There's all kinds of different risks we have to make, you know, that we have to calculate all the time. And I would personally say that seems a little bit overboard to me, um, but I don't know exactly what's happening pastorally there. And I would try to find that out before I made any dramatic. That's what I and, okay, so let's let's talk about uh, the online folks who are, yeah. are staying home and uh, they're saying we're doing this because... We, we, if we came to church, we would just be panicked the whole time. Um, and and thank you for making church available online. It right. does give us some connection, and we can't wait to get back. Right. And and part of the question is, can't wait until what? So what's going to have to happen for you to go? Yeah. Okay, it's all clear. Now I can go back to church, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly my concern. I have some friends who are in this situation. Now, one of the first things I want to look at 
is if somebody says that to me, and then I see on Instagram that they're they're going to school, they're going to restaurants, they're going yeah. to sporting events. Yeah, I'm going to have some questions there. Yeah. Now, if that person is locked in their home and they're not leaving for anything and they don't plan to come out anytime soon, I have a whole other set of concerns for them. Again, maybe that's the only option they have. But I think at this point in the pandemic, this is just my assessment of things. I'm not some sort of you know, public health expert here, but my assessment of things is that we're in a situation where this is going to be, become part of our world. It's not going to go away completely, just like all kinds of other viruses that can kill us can't go, can't go away and aren't, aren't going away until Jesus comes back and we pray for that, for that day to hasten. So then I have to stop and say, I, I don't think this is a long-term solution here, though if for some reason... Now, we do know other shut-ins where it is a permanent solution, for them. They're never coming back. They're in their 90s. They're never coming back to church. Now, I don't know if they got somebody there to help them with a live stream, <laughs> but I would also say these are good examples where if the church wants to do a password-protected option for people in this situation, go for it, because, you know, I want to give them the option in the same way that maybe somebody else, I want to, I want to make it a little bit harder for them. Of course, okay. they just watch a different church. And, the per- and, and that is what happens. And so some people are yeah. going, if, if we don't put our church service online, either somebody finds a new pastor in another town or they start watching theological bad stuff. And, yeah. and we've got to keep the good stuff online to compete. Yeah, no, I understand. And I, I think real, I don't know how different this is from podcasts in a lot of different ways, where people, almost every church puts their sermon on podcast. We don't really have a question about that anymore. But also in my work, Bob, with, with places, I see that as having caused a lot of problems. Now, yes, there's good. I work for Tim Keller. Yeah, it's great that so many people can listen to Tim <laughs> Keller's messages. I'm thankful for that. All I'm trying to point out is that technology gives and takes away. It gives and it takes away. If your church recognizes what a live stream gives, that's great. If you don't recognize what it takes away, that's the problem. Try to mitigate the effects as much as possible. You want to leave the live stream up there because, hey, we're probably in a situation, Bob, where nobody's ever going to visit a church again until they've watched it online. Okay, that may just be what it is. Then, then you better double down, pick up this book, Rediscover Church, and do a whole lot of discipleship about why that's not a good option for anybody yep. long term. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Okay, last hardball, and okay. this is a 60-second answer on this one. Uh, yeah, okay. Our church does weekly communion. Uh, is it okay for us to invite those who are at home to grab a cracker and some juice? And if you're a believer, join us. Yeah, great question. We actually did a forum on this early in the Gospel Coalition back in about April of 2020, and we had a pro-con, one group that said, yes, we do it, another group that said no. Interest in the church that said, yes, we encourage people to do this at home, came back and said, we want to do another article about why we changed our mind and why you shouldn't do it. It seems as though there is an essential nature to the physical gathering with these physical elements in the context of the gathered body. And so for that reason, I would encourage churches not to do that, um, because, again, there seems to be some message that the Lord wants to communicate about being together and taking these physical elements. And if you do have shut-ins, you can take elements and... and... You can take them to them. Yeah, That's another option. Now, now, I do know churches that won't do that at all with them. It's not my view, but I do think 
having an option where you take them, you know, the leaders, leaders of the church will take the elements of the shut-in. I encourage that. Um, again, I, I know some people who disagree with that, but that's, that would be my view, that you can do that in those extenuating circumstances. Well, I'm glad this is all so easy for us to work our way through. <laughs> I, hope, I, hope, I know the listeners out there are going to give me some grace here, knowing that these are difficult questions. I'm not trying to be overly dogmatic, but I am trying to be a little pebble in the shoe to say, hey, let's think about this and let's appreciate what this physical gathering means and the Lord's intent for us as believers. And I hope a lot of those listeners will get a copy of the book Rediscovering Church and check you out on Gospel Bound and on the podcast with uh, uh, with uh, Kevin DeYoung and with um, Justin, Justin Taylor, Taylor as yeah. well. Uh, thanks for the time this afternoon. Thanks for a lively conversation on this subject, and I look forward to our uh, our paths crossing again. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. Colin Hansen joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live. When we come back, we're going to talk baseball and Jesus, both. Okay, that's coming up next on Southern California Live.